Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. You're listening to Wood Talk Online with your hosts, Mark and Matt. Take it away, boys. Welcome to Wood Talk Online. My name is Mark Spagnolo, and I'm the host of the Wood Whisperer video podcast. And I'm Matt Vanderlist. I'm the host of Matt's Basement Workshop podcast, and we're both the hosts of Wood Talk Online. Wood Talk Online is a brand new podcast for woodworkers by woodworkers. That's right. And if you have a question for Matt or myself, feel free to email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. So let's get rolling, Matt. What are you uh, doing in your shop right now? Well, once I hung the uh, spousal avoidance sign that you suggested last, I mean, you didn't suggest it. You, you, you talked about it. I put it over my, <laughs> my shop, and I've been locked inside with my uh, raging wife on the outside. Good I'm man, good man. Yeah, I'm just kidding, honey, because she said she'd actually listen to the show. So that takes Uh-oh. us up now to four listeners. Nice. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, really, I've been continuing my uh, kind of my cleanup from the last project I was doing, just getting things sorted out of the way, because now that I'm not working so much on that project, I actually have time to maybe come in and plot out my next project, which right. I think is actually going to be a uh, – actually, I started this one, but I kind of had, had to set it aside a little bit. It's a – cherry uh slant front desk for my daughter because okay basically she's doing all her homework at the dinner table and i'm getting tired of getting notes from the teacher that there's too much pizza stains on it you know <laughs> all that good stuff so i figure she's getting old enough that it's time to start locking her in her room when she's doing her homework so that's that's pretty much the main thing um nice. yeah that's i think that's that's really about yeah, that's pretty much it, other than the cleaning. That's about Just it. Just cleaning. Lots of cleaning. Lots of cleaning. Oh, you know, there's another thing that while we're talking about the shop and cleaning and everything, remember last week we had that email about the uh, pitch remover and all that good stuff for blades and everything? Uh-huh. And I mentioned that I used a product that makes my eyes burn and my nose itchy and all that <laughs> good stuff, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah, I got my products mixed up, so I guess maybe... Who knows, if they were listening to us, the sponsor, they might be a little irritated by this. But actually, <laughs> I, I got the pitch cleaner mixed up with the rust remover, and it turns out it's the rust remover by this particular manufacturer uh, that does the burning of the eyes and everything. The okay, pitch cleaner, so it's, but it's still the Bow Shield company or whatever that company is? Yep, Bo- yeah, Bow Shield. Is it Boeing? Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah Bow Shield T9 products. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, they, they work great and everything else, but I just want to make sure that everybody understands that for the pitch cleaner, it, it's really good, but it won't burn your eyes Still don't think I would want to have them sprayed in my eyes, but you, you know. know, rust remover. I've I've used that navel jelly stuff for just rehabbing old tools and stuff in the past, and man, that stuff is caustic. I mean, you really? you think like furniture stripper is bad, but uh-huh. I I don't know if the the bow shield rust remover is the same way. But if it's anything like that T nine uh, or not T nine, the uh, 
navel jelly stuff. Wow. That stuff just seems like it'll burn a hole through anything. It's crazy. <laughs> Stay away. Protect yourself if you're going to use that stuff. It's nasty stuff. Oh, good to know. In fact, I'll write that down right now. Stay away from navel people. I mean, gel. <laughs> yeah. Na- Stay away from navel jelly. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Keep- Daughters away from naval bases. <laughs> <laughs> that too, marine marine bases too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what's so, going on with you and your shop? I mean, uh, that's pretty much I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Well, a little more active in my shop, but then again, I don't have a real job. I just play in my shop all day. Oh, now um, you're you do have a real job. Don't don't underplay yourself because you're going to undervalue yourself. And like we talked last week, that's not a good thing. I just charge a lot for my hobby is what it comes down to. Okay, I understand um, that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, we got uh, some progress with the shop upgrades still. I've uh, had all this on the webcam. I don't know what people can see and what they can't, but um, I had the uh, garage doors put in finally uh, in the last two days, which was a nice surprise out of nowhere. Um, so those are in, and uh, it actually makes a significant difference in the amount of heat already because I think we're up to like 95, somewhere in the mid-90s today. So it was a, a pretty good test run. Uh, so pretty happy with that. And, um, nice. Yeah, that wasn't too bad. So uh, as far as work, though, we're working on finishing up a table mm-hmm. that we refinished, the one that I had the problem with the finish uh, last week. Um, okay. I did want to. I did want to mention a couple people emailed me and made a very good point about polyurethane not being suitable to top coat a previous coat of shellac. And I just want to clarify that I was using de-waxed shellac as a sealer, and there is a, a key difference there that if you use standard shellac, uh, which does contain wax, you will have adhesion issues with polyurethane. Uh, in general, if you use a de-waxed shellac, and I was actually using bullseye seal coat you should not have an adhesion problem. And generally I only use like a half pound cut as, as a sealer to begin with. So there's only a little bit of shellac in there in the first place. And I never have a problem with any varnish or polyurethane or even oil varnish mixture as a top coat on top of that seal coat. So just, just to clarify there. Um, uh, The other thing we're working on right now is I've got an interesting commission uh, customer actually asked me if I could make these little rings, essentially. And I at first didn't know what they were for. She's actually going to use these things for a curtain rod. It must be just a special size rod that she can't find the right type of rings. So I'm making them out of uh, three-quarter inch birch plywood that has a a combination MDF and standard ply core. Uh, And I got to make these little five-inch rings. There's a five-inch inner diameter, six-and-a-half-inch outer diameter, going to round them over on all four corners, basically make it look like a tube, uh, you know, like a cylindrical actual, um, you know, shape. Okay. And uh, it's just production, basically. I got to make 32 of them, and it's uh, it's time-consuming, and it's a real pain in the butt, but it's uh, an exercise in create, you know, creative woodworking. No, that's when you need to go find yourself an intern who needs credit for school, and then you bring <laughs> them in, and they're like, here you go. Oh, yeah, get me some coffee. <laughs> you know, and um, I, I wish I could be that way. I, I've talked about that in the past. I don't know that I'd be able to ever really have uh, uh, like a daily sort of employee, Okay. I, don't, I don't know that I'm that type of person. Like when I'm working for a company and I'm just a manager and I've am the boss, I guess, of you know two or three people or whatever my team. 
it's a different story because it's not really my money that they're wasting when they goof off, you know, right. and, I, and I could correct them and explain, look, this is not what you're supposed to be doing. Let's get, you know, on task here. But if it's in my shop, I'm going to go ballistic if it's my money that I'm paying them and I find them fooling around. And, and that is not a side of me that I want anyone to have to deal with. So <laughs> I think I've decided to just continue working with my stepdad and, and having him help me out and I'll do all the woodworking. Okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah, no one needs to see that side of Mark. Um, definitely not. Okay, I, yeah, I can understand that. That's one of the things, you know, I kind of the, am the pseudo-supervisor. Actually, I'm the supervisor of one at my day job. And, okay. yeah, it's I'm hard on myself all the time, so I can't imagine if I actually had other people with me. That'd be insane. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, and especially if it's your own business and it's your bottom bottom line and your money that's going out the window when someone's fooling around, you're going to think a little bit differently about, you know, how that person is spending their time. Yeah, you know, one thing more caught my caught my attention when you were talking about your your shop. You said you're hitting ninety five degree days right now. Uh, just about. Yeah. Okay. Here in Michigan, we just dropped back down into uh, snow. In fact, there's about two inches of snow outside my house right now. Oh man. Uh, two days ago, we were walking around in uh, t-shirts and uh, well, shorts for the very brave at heart. You know, we were hitting right. up a very balmy sixty, and uh, yeah, it's we pretty much. Okay, so I'm done. I'll talk to you wow. later. <laughs> Jeez, yeah, let's let's meet somewhere in the middle. Let's uh, let's both sit around sixty and be happy with it. <laughs> okay, yeah, that works. Jeez, so, wow, that's cool. crazy. So, anything else going on? Well, just one last thing. I did want to, you know, common sense. Everybody knows to use, you know, eye protection in the shop. But um, just had one of those close calls today that reminds you that you kind of need to step it up sometimes and pay attention a little bit more. Um, when I was doing my uh, flush trim routing for these rings, I had my ear protection on. I had my respirator. And sometimes all that gear kind of inhibits, you know, basically your, your eye protection for the most part because You've got stuff around your ears already. You're trying to fit the, the the goggles on on top of everything, and sometimes they don't sit as close to your face as they should. Uh -huh. uh, so I was just kind of leaning forward, hovered over the the flush trim bit at the router table, and I just got a little something, you know, the, probably just a little fleck of wood in my eye. And I blinked a few times, and it was out. But it just reminded me of how easily stuff can get in your eyes, and you think you're safe, so you might become a little complacent about you know safety. Uh, but in reality, there's a large gap there if you're not wearing them properly. So even though you're wearing your eye protection, you're still not doing what you should be doing. So just a quick reminder is just, you know, always double check your setup and make sure, am, am I really, you know, I may be wearing these things, but am I physically blocking things from <laughs> being able to get in my eye? Because that's, yeah. I mean, that is the point of what you're trying to do. So Yeah, exactly. Are the lenses in my glasses? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, that's something else. That would be a piece of wood now. So yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I've heard some nightmare stories, man. And that's that's just nothing to really mess with. So oh yeah, so definitely. That's that's uh, all I got for me in my shop right now. Cool. Well, that's good. I mean, and good thing you mentioned the safety thing. I think sometimes people, like you said, they really kind of take safety for granted, or at least I think that's where you're kind of going. Yeah, so. you go through the motion sometimes, and you know, and I, I'm obviously guilty of that today because I, I got, I'm like, okay, I got these things on, and I realize there's a two, you know, they're hovering over my face, and there's a two inch gap between my, you know, under my eye and where this lens is, so mm -hmm. it's just not adequate for the task that I was doing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Or bringing the the bit right up near your eyes. You're like, I'm gonna get down just to see if it's actually making contact. Oh! <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe maybe my posture wasn't exactly right. I should have probably uh, stood up a little bit straighter. But it's all good. <laughs> Sweet. Okay. Well. So uh, um, you want to jump into some emails? Or I was, yeah, I was just gonna say. You know, since we put that first episode up, 
apparently some people are listening because we've been getting a lot of email coming in. And so we have quite a few emails. And, of course, there's there's so many. That I, I think we we would be here for a good couple of hours, you know, if we tried yeah. to answer all of them in this one show. And it's kind of funny because I did see, I don't know if you saw a couple of them. Basically, people are like, we'd like you to go on for an hour or more. I that saw would be that. great. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, no, that's impossible. That's way... I don't want to do that to people. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the thing is, we won't really set any time frames. I mean, we'll do what seems like a logical, good amount of material to cover in one show. And uh, if it lasts 50 minutes, it lasts 50 minutes. And if it's 20 minutes, it's 20 minutes. Um, you know, I don't really think it... I think if we try to plan out the time too much, something's going to get lost in the mix. So we'll just, you know, it'll be what it is. Definitely. Or maybe we can offer subscriptions. And for $20 each per episode, you can listen to the extended version. <laughs> That's a good idea. That's a good money-making idea. Yeah. So, uh, but anyways, <laughs> though, <laughs> let's get on with this first one. We received an email from... Uh, uh, Michael, and he had a question about uh, horizontal versus vertical wood storage racks. And so I'll go ahead and read this email, and we can kind of get into this a little bit. Uh, great show. Love the first episode. I had a question about wood storage in the shop, vertical versus horizontal. I've seen pictures of many horizontal racks, and so I was designing, in my head, one for my new shop. However, reading a shop setup book, it mentioned that vertical wood storage is much easier to sort through material, provided you have the height in your shop, 8 plus feet. I do have an 8.5 foot, or I do have 8.5 feet, so 8 foot boards and plywood sheets fit very nicely, and I can see the benefit from the few pieces of lumber I already have leaning up against the wall. Very easy to sort and pull pieces. My question is with vertical wood storage, do you need to worry about warping since the boards are leaning and only supported at either end, not along the length? And if so, how would you protect against that? Thanks, Mike. Well, Mike, uh, the way in my shop, I, I've shown pictures of this, and I'm sure everybody's seen this. I, I have the vertical storage, and it mainly is because of the fact that my ceilings aren't, they're, they're not that tall. In fact, I think down here in the basement, they're only about maybe seven and a half feet, if that, because I know I can't even put a a full sheet of plywood up. And I would love to be able to just because of that fact that you've got that, that storage is a lot easier to kind of thumb through boards, pull them out and get them out of the way. Mm. But uh, I've noticed that, or I should say I haven't noticed any problems with warping when they're vertical, uh, unless of course I've got like a big gap between where my, uh, the, the actual arms that come out and hold the, the, the wood in place and, you know, kind of have an open system there because I, I like having that extra air circulating around the wood to help it dry so I don't have to worry about in case there is any moisture, it's getting trapped, blah, blah, blah. You know, it just kind of helps all around. Right. Um, I've, unfortunately, I haven't had much experience with the horizontal. I don't have, have you had any experience with the horizontal at all? Or uh, Yeah, my storage actually is horizontal. Um, okay. Well, with the high ceilings, you're right. If you have eight foot or more, you could store them vertically. But if you have 14-foot ceilings, sometimes you want to take advantage of that extra height that you have and consider it almost like a second level of space. Uh, so I have my, my storage actually starts at about seven feet high and goes up to probably about 12 feet. So just a couple feet from the ceiling. Okay. Um, and it's all horizontal. I use, uh, the garage, uh, garage grade racks that they sell at Lowe's. Okay. Uh, it's like a, it looks like a hand hammered gray material, but the stuff, it actually works really good. I've got the vertical, uh, pieces that go into the studs and then the, you know, the shelving, I don't even know what these things are called, but the shelving things that come out and you <laughs> lay the wood on top of there. Oh, yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm sorry. I'm going to jump in there because I just realized I got my vertical and my horizontal mixed up. <laughs> uh, I got to keep the horizontal horizon. So yes, I have the horizontal, not the vertical, because nice. uh, yeah, yeah. So 
Uh, sorry about that. Um, I'm <laughs> can, I la- get, can I laugh at you for just a few minutes? I think everybody funny. else is doing it right now too. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get a dictionary out and start looking up my words before I come on here. <laughs> well, hey, last time I didn't know what MN was, you know, as far as statewide. So uh, I think oh yeah, I took a hit there. Um, but okay, so you you have horizontal storage and you don't notice any problems with horizontal storage. Exactly. Yes, okay. I, I I have no problems with the horizontal. Nor nor uh, should you. Right. Um, I, I don't, I don't either. And I think horizontal is kind of obvious that you're not going to really see, uh, much of an issue, uh, especially if you're working with kiln dried material, there should really be no problem. Um, right. now I could say I, I, you know, have stored stuff vertically my plywood storage is vertical. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the past I have stored my lumber vertically. Um, but I haven't done it to any length of time that I could say that I, from firsthand experience, can say that it absolutely will not affect the wood at all. But what I can say is based on theory and based on uh, other people's experiences and what I've read, if it's kiln-dried material um, and you're looking at something that's between 8 and 12% moisture content, you should not have a problem storing it vertically. Um, mm-hmm. Generally, the structure of the wood is already established. It's kind of locked in place. And I don't know, unless you're sit- spanning it across, you know, two cinder blocks with the weight in the middle, you know, I don't know if yeah. they're really going to uh, greatly affect the the curvature of, the, of a rough wood like that. So I would say, you know, if it's kiln dried and you don't have any moisture on your floor that could wick up through the end grain, I think you're, you know, should be perfectly satisfied storing it vertically. And uh, I think I actually wrote him back uh, before, excuse my phone, if anyone can hear that. Um, I actually uh, wrote him and let him know that one of the coolest storage sheds, wood storage sheds I've ever seen, stored all of their wood vertically. And uh, that was actually David Mark's storage uh, shed. So he's got nice. nine, 90% of his stuff is vertical. And we're talking, you know, I don't know if anyone has ever seen the show uh, Woodworks. And he does a shop tour that that shows some of the stuff that he's got in there. And you don't want that stuff to bend <laughs> if you could help yeah. it. So, um, but, but yeah, I honestly, if it's kiln dried, no problems with vertical storage. Okay, yeah, because actually the the lumber supplier I go to, I know it's funny because they have one room that's all, you know, they have the warehouse where the uh, the rough lumber is, and then they have the sto- the showroom where they have the uh, finished pieces, the ones that are already milled, and all the uh, pre-milled um, lumber is actually, it's all vertical, and all the rough is horizontal. And it's the one thing I was thinking also, you'd mentioned the fact that you want to kind of get it up off the ground, because that's the one thing that keeps coming up in my mind, is especially like in, in my basement, it's it's a cement floor. I mean, most basements are cement floor, so therefore it's, you know, maybe prone to a lot of moisture would, you know, would could potentially come up in there. I mean, that's why we use what uh, pressure-treated lumber outside when we're putting it on a cement base, basically. Right. You know, so yeah, that, oh, that yeah. seems like that'd be the big, the biggest concern. So, anyways, though, now that I've got my horizontal out of my vertical, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's good to keep those straight. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Do you know definitely. which one is uh, latitude and longitude? Um, okay, well, we're going to move on to the next email now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll stop quizzing you. Okay, well, we do have another email here. This one okay. is actually a uh, little bit of a continuation of what we spoke about last week with woodworking business and selling your materials uh, or, yeah, selling your projects off. Uh, this one comes from Mitch, which rhymes with... Oh, hey. Hi, Mitch. Snitch. Um, I have a question about the business of woodworking. I'm a very new or I'm very new at this, but I've identified a group of potential customers, not a given by any means, but good potential. 
What I'm wondering about is how you and prospective clients arrive at a design for a piece of furniture. I guess it depends on whether the person already knows what kind of piece they want. If they do, then you discuss the wood choices and specific dimensions, etc. But if they don't know exactly what they want, how do you help them narrow it down to something that you know you can make and number two, you know you can make some money on? I assume that you would show a portfolio and or a sample of your work. Do you also show pictures of furniture from books or magazines in the style thereafter? One thing I was considering was bringing along a drawer from a table. It's small enough, blah, 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 blah. This is getting boring. Um, <laughs> basically, t- to quickly answer his question, um, for me, whenever a, a customer approaches me, if they know what they want, if they're coming across and saying, look, I want a wangy cabinet with this design and that design, and I've got uh, a couple customers like that, I will help them a little and I'll, I'll steer them in the right direction and guide them. But clearly they know what they want and they're, kind of a wood connoisseur and they, they like what they like. And then they, you know, we have a little bit of a back and forth, but they're very specific. Uh, then you've got your other type of customer who just says, Oh, I just want this built in made. Um, and they're more concerned about how many drawers it has, whether their TV fits in it. Um, they're not as concerned about the wood or the color. And, and those are the customers that you really have to work with a little bit more uh, to get them to the point that they're very happy with the result and you're happy with it because it's something you can make money on uh, and actually realistically build. So I, I would say with people like that, the first thing I do when someone tells me they want something is I ask them to send me, uh, a picture of something that looks similar to what they want. I tell them to, to just search online, go to any furniture website, um, look at the different styles of furniture, find a a JPEG image of something that looks similar. And let's Mm -hmm. use that as the starting point and we'll modify that design. And that's something that people understand. They, they have trouble starting from scratch, but if they start from a design, they'll be able to modify it to make it exactly what they want. And I could build just about anything they find. So we just kind of, I let them know what might cost more. You know, if you want dovetail drawers as opposed to, you know, standard drawers made with a couple rabbits and some uh, brad nails. Um, you know, I'll <laughs> let them know. You've been seeing my pieces that I've been building lately? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> oh, your, your stuff is better than that. Um, but, you know, there are projects that doing a joint like that is perfectly permissible if you need to save a few bucks and, and save the customer some money. Um, so uh, basically that's where I start and I say, okay, what color do you want? And if they say I want it to be walnut and then I ask them, do you want to pay for walnut? Or do you yeah. want me? Do you want me to just use alder and make it look like walnut? Um, you have to gauge what they want to do, where their priorities are, and you'll know when you get the customer that absolutely wants walnut because they don't want anything but the best. So they want the wood to be made out of the wood that has the right color from the start. You'll know that ahead of time. You know you don't need to to push that on them. But generally, I really do try to save people money. I don't try to push them into more expensive things. I just try to make sure that they're completely happy. Uh, with it. And, and I don't want to spend too much time because we covered, you know, a lot of this topic last time, but that's, that's usually the two, two very broad categories of people that I come across. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I've, I've come across a few of those, the few commissions that I've done, but yeah, it's the same exact thing. You're either pretty much, you know, following their lead or like you said, you're kind of like kind of holding their hand and walking them through. So yeah. that's, that's some good points. Uh, the cool. one major piece of advice that I would say uh, that a lot of people get hung up on early on is giving them too many options. Mm-hmm. Oh, now, yes. <laughs> I mean, honestly, and that's not to say that they're not capable of making a decision, but sometimes when you give people too many options, they become indecisive and they don't have any idea what they really want to do. So if you say, I can make you 17 different style you know, frame and panel doors, you just need to pick the profile. I mean, that's 
you know, in- intimidating. That's a, a daunting task for people. So if you narrow it down to the two or three router bits that you own, don't make yourself buy a new router bit. Make a sample and say, here's what the door would look like. Do you like this? And chances are they will. You know, oh, so, yeah. so try and think of things that you've done, things that you're comfortable with, and offer those as your first suggestions. Don't give them the world as their options. Give them a set amount of options. Yeah, I think I made that mistake. The, the very first really kind of, uh, I guess, commission work that I ever did, which was basically a, a coffee table and like some end tables, that kind of a thing. And that's more or less exactly what happened. It was like one of those, well, wouldn't you want to go for this? I mean, I, right. you know, and blah, blah, blah. And then that ended up like really coming back and biting me in the rear end basically on that it one. It will. It will. And a sort of analogous kind of uh, uh, situation. Have you ever been to the Cheesecake Factory? Uh, yeah, I'm drooling I guess that's, now. <laughs> that, that's a yes. <laughs> um, yeah, think about the Cheesecake Factory menu. I have the hardest damn time picking something to eat off of their menu because they're a Chinese restaurant, they're an Italian restaurant. I mean, they've got just about everything on their menu, and it's so freaking hard to pick something to eat. But when I go to In-N-Out, I know exactly what I want, and I know it you know, very quickly, and I'm happy with what I ordered. Um, so sometimes the concept of just too many options, too much choice is is actually a negative. Absolutely. All right, cool. Well, let's go ahead and move on to a, the, a new another email, another one that we have here. And this one is from William. Oh, excuse me. Uh, he ended the, the email with Bill. Sorry about Bill. that, Bill. And uh, says, uh, hey, fellas, first off, love both your podcasts and this new one. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Um, my question is this. I've just inherited quite a few antique tools from my grandfather. They were his father's, etc. Some of So some of them are pretty old, and but still of great quality. Uh, they have all seen better days, specifically the hand planes and old saws. What do you recommend to do to bring these things back to life? That is, restore the finish, both steel wood. Uh, while they are heirlooms, I do intend to use them on occasion. Well, Bill, um, since uh, I do a lot of... Well, stuff with the hand planes and everything else, and I've gone out, and I'm actually doing a series where I'm talking about going out and getting like a restoration, sort of putting in my shameless plug. But um, one thing when it comes to the older tools, it sounds like, what I, at least what I'm kind of getting from this email, is that since they, even though they're old, they're still in decent condition, so it doesn't sound like maybe you would have to do too much to them. It might be a matter of, you know, a little elbow work, or elbow grease, just to kind of clean them up a little bit. Uh, and then the next thing you're going to want to be looking at is if it's anything to do with the the handles themselves. If the handles are in, in disrepair, you know you might be able to get some replacement ones, especially with the hand planes. There's plenty of manufacturers that have uh, that are making replacement uh, parts for them. There's a quite a few actual uh, websites out there that you can get plenty of spare parts to replace any of the, the broken ones. Uh, it really depends on who the manufacturer is. I'm I'm willing to bet. It's going to kind of take a gamble here, but I'm bet you that most of the hand planes are probably like a Stanley, Stanley Bailey type hand plane. So therefore, there is a ton of parts out there to easily replace them if that's the case. Uh, old saws. Um, I really don't. I haven't done much with actually bringing these back around. Uh, there's a couple of great books out there, and of course, they're way over on that shelf. And I can't get to them, but uh, basically, there's that, there's that one that's like sharpening anything and everything. I mean, it has like not just how to sharpen chisels, but it goes into you know plain plain uh, plain blades. It goes into like ads. Is that how you say it? The A D Z E S. Yeah, ads. Yeah, froze. I mean, absolutely everything. So when it comes to the actual saws themselves, you can you know learn how to basically bring the edges back around on those. 
really the main thing is if it's chances are it's probably the wooden handles. If the handles are really beaten up. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. You could just simply uh, you know, more or less just kind of like either strip it down or just sand it down and start fresh again. That's the nice thing about the, the wood. I mean, uh, that, that's a good thing to do with it. And basically... Just uh, a little TLC is what it really comes down to. It just depends on how much pitting, how much rust you're going to be uh, faced with when it actually gets into there. I was uh, actually just going to ask you if you want to give a quick you know, 30, 40 second uh, description of what you do. If you do have a rusty plane and you want to lap the sole nice and flat, just quickly, what do you, uh, what do, you yeah, do well, for that? Well, basically, I would use the rust remover that burns my eyes, more or less, if it's really rusted. <laughs> I would go into a very well-ventilated area and do it. But essentially, exactly. that's the main thing. Is you, What you really are going to do is, with, with the example of the hand plane, you're going to take it apart, and you're going to want to clean everything. And that way, you can really get in there, and you can see if there's any broken parts or anything like that. So once you've got that cleaned up the best you can, and since you're going to be using them, I wouldn't be too worried about the finish coming off or anything like that. Let's, let's get serious. You're going to use them, so the finish is potentially going to come off anyways. The next thing is when it comes to putting the pieces back together, uh, the, the most important part is paying attention to the sole of the hand plane because with all hand planes, you want that sole to be nice and flat so you would end up doing some lapping, which is as simple as putting down a piece of sandpaper on a very flat surface like you know a cast iron tabletop or something and making several passes back and forth, putting equal pressure on the knob in the front and the, the tote is the handle in the back and pushing down with that and making several passes and you're just going to flip it over and you're going to look at the bottom and you can see the scratch pattern and essentially you're on your way to getting the sole completely lapped. Those first few passes will give you an exact idea of how much work you're really going to have to put into it. If it's a lot of work, my suggestion is thank you grandpa and then maybe put it up on the shelf and <laughs> you'll look elsewhere if you really want to continue with this. Well they that's, do look I, cool on the wall though. They do. I like the ones that you have. <laughs> yeah, I've got some old ones that I've I've restored them and I've tried to use them a couple times and I'm like, uh, you know, I'm more of a router guy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but they are. I mean, honestly, it's it's a blast uh, restoring some of those things. I mean, if you just uh, set aside a weekend just to have fun with it, um, it actually is kind of fun to do it. Yep. Yeah. Have it, you it, ever? It, um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's really kind of neat when you find like a really old one that looks so rusted, and you're like. Uh, I don't know what am I going to do with this paperweight basically <laughs> and you can actually kind of clean it up a little bit and then you get it and you're like I think I could actually use this give yeah. it a shot <laughs> yeah exactly um, I wanted to ask you have you ever tried uh, Japaning techniques to, no. to put that black crap back on the plane no no absolutely you know, I've thought about that 
and uh, actually had an, a, a question that came in, and that's one of those, I can tell you what it is, but I, I've never actually tried it, and I, I think it's a... It's something I, I'd be interested in, but I'm almost afraid of it. <laughs> yeah, well, you've got to bake it and all kinds of other stuff. So I, I've always been a little intimidated by it and figured, you know what? Uh, black paint from Home Depot works just as well. Oh, you uh, found my secret. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Black spray enamel pretty much does the job. Exactly. It comes off a little bit. I've got a can in the backyard. We'll just spray it on again. <laughs> there, there you go. Well, I don't really have anything to add. I think you... Uh, adequately covered that topic um, okay cool yeah definitely that, recommend that w- doing it i mean it's it's fun it's therapeutic and uh you learn a lot about the plane by by doing a restoration on it too so yep. you know and the one thing is with with the old saws a lot of times with that um you know you you can do what you can to try and bring them around but unfortunately a lot of times uh, older saws have really been misused unless it's one that you know for a fact the craftsman really took care of unfortunately i don't really have much experience with saws it's something i do eventually want to kind of get into but at this point, um, I'm not much help on that. So yeah, it it, it is it can be a fun weekend. Yeah, kind definitely. Of a thing. Cool. Okay. Uh, next email, we got an email from John. Hi, John. Uh, hi, John. John writes, "How do you know when to use a nail or a screw for your project? Uh, then how do you know how long of a nail or screw to use?" Well, that's kind of hmm. That's kind of a general question. I would say Definitely. it's very sub- it's subjective. You know, it really depends on the project. Mm-hmm. I would say in general, as few as you can get away with. If, you know, I, I try to pride myself on having all wood joinery. Um, I'm not a big brad nailer. I don't like r- repairing little holes. And I certainly don't like seeing little tiny holes with filler in them when I'm done. So when I watch, you know, the, the great norm... fire away with his brad nailer and he goes hog wild on those things what they don't show which would be hilarious to watch is him or whoever he has doing it for him if he's got help filling all the little holes that he just made because they're going to be there you just can't see them on you know standard definition pbs tv yep so honestly if you can just throw a clamp across an area instead of throwing brad nails through the trim and you could just clamp it with glue you know, you're so much better off and you don't have anything to repair later. So anyway, I'm kind of digressing here, but I, (laughs) I, I don't really use very many screws or nails unless I absolutely have to. Um, How do you know when to use one versus the other? I think the only time I use nails, well, first of all, I don't use nails other than Brad nails or the little 23 gauge pin nails. Um, I don't use anything larger than that. Uh, if I use a screw, it's going to be a strategically placed screw that I'm probably going to um, counterbore uh, the hole and pop in, uh, you know, a little dowel on top of it just to hide the screw head. Um, you know, length of screw, that's really just going to depend on the project itself. Um, you know, you want to go far enough in so that it's got a good bite, but not so far that you have a chance of penetrating through the other surface. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't really know. I mean, like I said, I don't have much to say about it because I don't really use them that often unless it's uh, a necessary evil. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same exact way. It, it's more or less, and, and you don't know that when you brought up the thing about the uh, having to go through and fill the, I like to call them termite holes, basically, because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're holes. there. And uh, um, I just recently uh, actually uh, got a uh, pin nailer, and so I've had a chance to play with that. And I, Which one I did do, you get? Uh, I think it was a, a Bostitch. So okay, that's what I have. The right way? Okay, yep. yeah. Yeah, my, my wife got it for my birthday last year. Yeah, it was last year. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I got to use it twice, and then it got dropped. And oh, uh, so then 
and had to go into the repair shop. But luckily, it was uh, before the warranty was up. So, <laughs> good, <laughs> but good. but I got it back, and I've, I've used it several times since then, and I, I really like it. But that's the main thing is once you get past that, like you know, the, the headless pins and stuff like that. I I hate the the brads when they you know if it's in a location where I'm like, okay, for whatever reason, I feel like I need to reinforce this particular part. I want to hide them as much as I can. So, like, if I feel like when I'm, you know, maybe bringing a, uh, uh, something, like, I'm going to do some dados or some rabbits or something, and I feel like I need to reinforce where it's coming in, like, let's say I'm making a, a case or something, like, in the case of Aiden's dresser, and I feel like I needed to reinforce it, I always want to kind of come in from a spot where I know it's going to be hidden just in case there's the oops factor. Right. You know, and especially this is really true when it comes to anything with screws. Like you said, it's kind of like I want to I hide them the best I can if I have to use them. I like to use as many things that are wood on wood. I mean, modern day glues are just fantastic. They they hold so much, so much better than they ever did before. Right. So if you are going to use any type of reinforcement, I would I like to keep it in the same, I guess like, um, what's the word? like material basically that I'm already working with. So that's why yeah. I use a lot of um, glue blocks to help reinforce things. Right. So you know, I mean, I guess that's kind of getting away from the the nails and screws. But, uh, yeah, and then when it comes to the actual length, I like to use, if I have to use uh, one of them, I like to use the longest possible, but yet, you know, at the same time, I want to make sure that it's not going to go through the other end, which sometimes um, <laughs> I underestimate <laughs> the yeah, actual uh-huh. length of that. <laughs> oh, that's never, never happened to me, ever. Yeah. Why is that one uh, pointing through? That's for, um, <laughs> if you want to rest your drink, that will stop it from rolling off the edge. It's a new yeah. feature we're including in our tables now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, I guess for fine woodworking, and this may just be my opinion, uh, the, the quote unquote finer the woodwork, in my opinion, the less metal should be in the piece. You know, and of course, if you got little cleats that you want to put on and you shoot a few brads in there and it just makes sense and it's it's not seen fine. Um, but for the most part, I think you should try and, you know, to move away from that stuff as much as possible. Um, you know, with one exception, I know pocket screws are very, very popular because they're, they're so fast and you can make a really good solid door. You can make a solid, you know, you could base frame, yeah. anything, anything. And they do have their place and usually they're hidden. They're behind the scenes. So you really can't see them. And, and in that case, Hey, you know, if that's what you want to do, that's cool. Um, but again, I still think, well, I guess again, this is going back to the pricing thing. If you're trying to save a customer money, it's a lot easier to cut all these, you know, face frame parts and just put them together with, uh, you know, with, with some, pocket screws or if you're doing uh, some doors put them together with pocket screws you could save someone a lot of money that if you were to actually make a full-fledged mortise and tenon for each one of those doors yeah absolutely no and i do use pocket screws i, I won't say quite a bit but it's it's those those areas that are the hidden that's the the, the best yeah. part for them you and know, they're great and too they're awesome they are they really are they they can be very strong um, but yeah, it's, it's, I, I like them hidden cause I, you know, they make those special little plugs that they can put in there, but it's like, yeah. you know, this is supposed to be a time saving thing. Well, I was, and... Yeah. I was just going to say, if you do that, then you may as well just made the damn tenon because you're, you're wasting so much time. Exactly. Uh, well, let me, let me ask you a question. Okay. Go uh, ahead. The, um, I actually just did a lighting upgrade in my shop. Ooh. I, yeah, I was curious um, what kind of I can you see have. clearly now. That, I'm sorry, I had to throw that in. <laughs> no, that was pretty good. Not too bad. Um, what kind of lighting do you have down in the, the dungeon? Uh, basically, I have some uh, rather large fluorescent lights. Um, and actually, I've been thinking I should do some sort of upgrade too. So I kind of want to hear what you did. But I more or less have, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four units 
space throughout the uh, the area. More or less, when I, we bought the house, they were already in place, and that was like one of those, okay, my shop, this area right here. <laughs> right. You can have the rest of the house, but this area is mine. Nice. And uh, I have like essentially uh, they're like about eight feet in length. I think the bulbs are the, the really really big ones. Okay. And um, don't ask me wattages. Can't remember. Can barely remember horizontal versus <laughs> vertical. <laughs> okay. But I have like one that's over where the workbench area is. I have another one over where I do most of the machining, and then a uh, third or third or fourth one are just kind of dispersed in between, like where I would do any assembly work. Good. Cool. Okay. Um, well, what we had, obviously we've got, you know, a, a, a bigger space and when same thing we moved in, they had decent lights. It looked okay. Uh, but the more I work in there, the more I realize I need a little bit more. And I've had some students come in that say it's, you know, could be a little bit brighter. So I figured, you know what, let me just, you know, let me just switch over. And hopefully I was, I, I wanted to find T8 bulbs. Now for anyone who doesn't know your standard wide, uh, light bulb that you'll see fluorescent light is referred to as a T12 usually. And I'm by no means a light expert. I'm just regurgitating what I have learned in the past few weeks. Um, the T12s are your basic ones that you're going to find probably what you have in your basement, Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they work great and they're cost efficient. They're, they're not that expensive to buy the units themselves. You can get a double, eight foot, you know, with two bulbs and it stripped for like 40 bucks at Home Depot. So, um, yeah, reasonably priced, uh, but you don't necessarily, they're not the best out there. There are other options. And one of those is a T8 bulb. The T8s are about half the size. They're not quite as wide as the uh, T12s. And they actually, from what I understand, have about 20 to 25% more light output per watt. So you can get away with using a lot less wattage and getting the same amount of light from it. Oh, nice. T8, 25%. T8. Okay. <laughs> no, we're going to have a transcript for this, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the, T, the T8s, they are a little bit pricier. Um, and the, the fixture themselves, the fixtures themselves are actually more pricey too. So um, I think what we're... I'll give you some specific numbers later, but basically the goal was how do I replace, I had seven of these eight foot double units with, so it's a total of 16 bulbs themselves, but, uh, or I'm sorry, seven times two is 14 uh, bulbs and seven individual light units themselves. Okay. So uh, I went to Home Depot and they had these nice four foot T8 units that contain four bulbs each. And I believe those ran me about 50 bucks a piece. And I just bought a, couple of cases of lights. I think the bulbs themselves run about six or seven dollars each for the T eight bulbs. And man, big, big difference. I mean it's it's much brighter. Um the options for different warmth and different uh color levels in each bulb, uh they seem to have nicer options in the T eights than they did in the regular T twelves, at least at my Home Depot. Um and I went for the best ones that they had. And I gotta tell you, yeah, I mean if you're gonna do it you may as well do it right. Um the interesting thing was Big difference because I did buy a couple of the cheaper ones to see what the difference was. Mm -hmm. When I first installed it, it looked very odd. The light was like a bright blue. It was it was just really weird. It looked very (laughs) unnatural to me, which was contrary to what the damn box said because the box said it was you know for more color accuracy. Go with this one. So after I got used to it, what what I started to realize is that the reason it was weird was because it was so different than what I was used to. Not that it was bad. It was just different. Right. Um, but what it actually was, was it, it looked more like there was a skylight open on the ceiling as opposed to a fluorescent fixture. So oh, the yeah. more, yeah, so the more I got used to it, the more I realized, you know what, this looks like natural sunlight. This doesn't look like, you know, the crappy yellow light that comes out of most fluorescent bulbs. So anyway, that, that's just kind of a little 
uh, thing that we did, and, and it was an incredible uh, upgrade as far as the amount of light that we see, and it's the same the same wattage. I actually calculated it out, and we're using the same amount of watts, even though we're using double the number of bulbs. Uh, it's the same watts, and we're actually getting more light uh, per unit out of it, so it's definitely a good upgrade. Definitely, yeah, because that's... With the ones I had, I, I know I just recently had to replace them, and I think I kind of came across that same, like, you know, why why is this blue? Am I not getting enough oxygen? What the hell's going on here? <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. And it's in the, the lights I have, the one complaint I have is I have to have been in the shop, or I have to be in the shop at least a minimum of half an hour before they, they completely warm up. Uh, so, you know, and that really bites when you're, like, trying to, like, match up, like, color, you know, colors of wood. So it's like, yep. okay, I'm going to make this tabletop and I want everything. To, well, this doesn't look right. What's going on here? And then finally it does warm up and I'm, oh, well, crap, I already cut that one down. <laughs> what the heck's going on here? Well, that's, so, that's actually another key feature of these lights is they turn on instantly. There's no delay in cold weather uh, and uh, there's no hum either. Oh, that'd be nice too because that's one of those irritating. It's like you get done and I can't tell if I, are my ears ringing because of the tools or yeah. what, what? what's that background noise? <laughs> it's one of those low-level those low background noises that you will get used to eventually, but the fact that you get used to it is actually bad because yeah. that means that it's, it's bad for your hearing. So, um, But yeah, just a, just a little primer on that, but it was it's a good move. Highly recommend it, and don't be – uh, shocked by the bluish cast of those higher grade lights, you will like it. If if you convert completely to that type of bulb, you're going to like the results. Sweet. I'm going to have to definitely look into that. Yeah, because I, I do need more lighting because I have those areas that it's like yeah, the dead zone, basically. Uh-huh, you know, yep. that's just, that's not good. Especially when you're working with a power tool and you're like, well, am I on the surface? Am I not? What the hell's going on? Exactly. So, cool. Exactly. Now, you um, mentioned uh, earlier, you said something about um, Yeah, I was just going to say, Mark, yeah, I was I was just gonna say, Mark, I might be in the market for a joiner, uh-huh. and um, I want to know your opinion on this because down in the basement workshop here, I've uh, I've mentioned this before. I I just use my my hand plane as a joiner. I have a large twenty uh, two inch number seven, which gives me these beefy muscular arms that I have here. <laughs> but I'm definitely thinking I want to step up. But I'm kind of tossed between, you know, I've got the money for a six inch now. But I'm not too far away from an eight inch that I, I've kind of had my eye on a little bit. Which one would you prefer? I, I, you know, since I don't have one right now, I'm kind of thinking, well, which way should I go? Do you have any recommendations? Um, I do. Um, I actually have had a six inch for a few years now, and it, it's it's definitely adequate. It certainly gets the job done. And anything that was wider than a six inch board, you just got to find other creative ways to do that. And um, you could see episode. Oh, dang it, that would have sounded so smooth if I remembered that. <laughs> what episode is it? It's it's called the joiner's jumping. I just can't remember oh, yeah. the number. And I, I covered some uh, different milling techniques and things, especially if you're confronted with a six-inch joiner and you got an eight-inch board, for an example. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would say is, like I said, I, I, I did have a, a six-inch joiner for a long time, and now I have a, uh, I just got a eight-inch jointer. Ooh. And I have to say that I really do think the best bang for your buck uh, is the eight-inch jointer. Now, it, it the cost between a six and an eight-inch in the same brand, you know, same quality level, is so minimal that it's it really is worth it. Now, when you jump from an eight-inch to say a ten or a twelve, that jump is is huge. It's a massive jump. So you want to make sure that you you get the most bang for your buck, and I think an eight-inch does that for you. Okay. Um, now, an eight-inch will also open up. It'll actually just make things a lot easier. I don't know about you, but when I get my lumber, most of the time, it's somewhere between, I don't know, maybe five 
and eight inches wide. Mm-hmm. Very like very rarely do I find something wider than eight inches or less than four. So for me, I mean, if you can get a, a joiner that covers you up to eight inches, you're actually going to be able to to work a lot more smooth. You won't have to to rip the boards down to narrower boards, uh, which is what you might wind up doing if you're, you know, let's say you're making a tabletop and all your boards are seven inches. Right. And you want to get them all jointed and planed down. What are you going to do about that extra inch? You know, I hope you're not going to trim it off and just lose it. Um, so if you get an eight inch, you can trim them all down, get them all nice and square, glue it up and, and, and not have to actually rip your boards down to fit on your joiner. So um, like I said, the price differential is is pretty minimal between six and eight. Absolutely. Hands down. I would say you should go for the eight inch. Okay. Cool. And That's by the I... way, and by the way, I just want to say, go for a Powermatic. Oh, Powermatic. I think I've heard of them before. For uh, no no particular reason. Just oh, okay. go for them. Uh, I'll put them down off. I mentioned Mark, the Wood Whisperer. We get... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that, no, that's tr- good. <laughs> yeah, tr- truth, truthfully, the uh, Powermatic is, is a good brand, and I've, I've been a Powermatic fan well before they were a sponsor, but obviously there's a lot of good brands out there. I've heard... Um, the, a lot of people have some luck with uh, with the Grizzly uh, units, and, and they're very reasonably priced. Yep, that's actually one that I kind of had my eye on. There's just something about a big teddy bear on the front cover that just really kind of pulls it out. But yeah, <laughs> the the 8-inch, the main reason I was thinking about that is, like you had said, I, I've, I've had that same thing. I go to the, the, uh, the lumber uh, supplier, and that's what exactly it. In fact, actually, I have this one board that... I didn't even know trees like this existed anymore. I mean, it's it's just a simple slab of pine, basically. But this uh, thing has got to be at least almost 15 inches. And I'm like, that's bigger than the rack that I have it on right now. I think I have to have, have supports underneath it holding it up. Wow. And I haven't used it yet simply because of the fact that I'm in awe of this plank. It's just insane. Yeah. Uh, you you'd know? hate to even, even touch it at this point. You just want to find exactly. a perfect project for it. Exactly, because in the rough state, I'm looking at it, I'm like, I would not want to have to rip this down and then and plus on top of having to rip down a wider board you're actually almost if you think about it doubling your work because you're going to have you know two faces now that you have to plane and then you got you know two edges and then you take them over to the thickness planer and then you've got a couple more going on so yeah. if you can eliminate that one step and maybe go with the wider or the larger jointer you know you really are maybe saving yourself a couple extra steps there so Cool. Yeah, it's it, and it's it's either more work or it's going to be wasteful, you know, one or the other. And, and the less work you have to do, and the more wood you could save. Uh, a table looks better if it's you know constructed of seven inch boards than it does if it's constructed of six inch boards. It just looks to me, at least in my opinion, uh, it's better because there's less joints to to contend with. So absolutely, uh, absolutely, eight inch. Yep. Cool. In that case, I'm going to go tell my wife right now that Mark said that I can get the 8-inch and she can't do anything about it. <laughs> so right. it's nice hey, talking to you. <laughs> hey, if, she, if she's got a problem, have her give me a call and uh, I will promptly act like I'm not here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. That's, that's, that's usually what I do. I play dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I have the possum. The possum technique works really well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. All right, so, man. Cool. Well, I think we would definitely have uh, hit our mark. I, I, I like aiming for the 40, 45-minute time frame. Absolutely. Pretty close it, to that. Yeah, we, we don't feel rushed, and we seem to cover enough issues, and um, you know, I, I definitely think this is a great one, and I think the listeners, are, are you guys out there, gals, too? Um, Hello. If you are, you know, you can obviously send us an email and we could maybe uh read a few of them online like we did with these ones and try to answer them uh mark what's what's that email it is the wood whisper oh no it's oh. actually uh <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> bad habit bad habit it's uh woodtalkonline at gmail.com okay and uh two things real quick i just remembered i did want to mention 
uh, I got an awesome link from uh, David. He sent uh, this is basically a follow up to our conversation about again about pricing. Okay. Um, it's a very cool link to a online estimate calculator project calculator thing that helps you through the estimate process, and you literally are uh, checking check boxes and just filling in some blanks. And this uh, sweet little program actually. Um, you know, we'll, we'll do a lot of the work for you. Uh, let me give you the address here. Okay. Uh, it's, um, let's see, what is it? It's bridgewooddesign.com, and that's B-R-I-D-G-E-W-O-O-D-D-E-S-I-G-N, bridgewooddesign.com slash estimator slash index dot htm. I'm sure if you just put slash estimator, that'll get you there. Um, I think it's the same company. I don't know if you've used the program that makes Cutlist Pro okay. or Cutlist. Yep. Um, and I, I've messed around with that program a few times, mm-hmm. but it's it's the same company that makes that program. And uh, I did a few samples, and it actually is pretty darn good. So I, I highly recommend that to people. Sweet. Um, and the second thing I just wanted to mention is that speaking of emails and the, the woodtalk online at gmail.com deal, um, we're getting a lot of emails, and I know you and I both – um, address a lot of emails directly on our Wood Whisperer and uh, Matt's Basement Workshop website. So um, honestly, it's it's almost more than we can handle at this point <laughs> to actually respond to every single person. So I still respond to everybody that writes me at the Wood Whisperer just because it's part of my daily routine. Yep, and same with, um, with but, my show also, just to throw that into. Yep. Right, and it's just becoming seeing the the influx of email coming into Wood Talk online. I don't want to discourage people from writing from writing to us, but at the same time, we may not be able to get to everybody's question directly, and we certainly will be using those as the material for the show. So please keep on sending the emails, but please, you know, don't be discouraged if you don't hear a direct response from us. But we will try to respond to as many as we can. Right, and if you hear from us three months after you send it, well, we're still working through. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean. It may, it may get to that point, uh, the way things are going now. It's getting pretty popular. And yep. we are getting closer and closer, I think, based on the f- response from the first show. We're getting pretty darn close to starting up a whole separate website with an RSS feed. Um, it's just going to make the most sense so people can have show notes and things to refer to. Absolutely, yeah, because with these links and everything. And actually, that, that link that you said that David said, I'll put that on my show notes also, or at, yeah, at my website and everything. I'll make sure that goes in there too, because that, that's yeah, a too. great one. Um, yeah, and I, I definitely think, even if we just give you just a quick, hi, we got your email, thanks, and that, that may, may be about it, that kind of a thing. We, we definitely, mm-hmm. we, I mean, I find myself going through these constantly. I'm not supposed to be on the internet when I'm at work, but, you know, it's there. So, um, (laughs) I can't help but, you know, see what these things are coming in because I love seeing some of these ideas. So definitely, definitely a lot of good stuff. Yeah. So keep sending those in. And of course the email address is, uh, woodtalkonline at gmail.com and just, you know, drop us a line with a, with a question and everything. And, you know, if it's a good one, we'll, we'll definitely use it. If not, we'll point and laugh and send it to each other, (laughs) (laughs) which we, which we usually do with most of them. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, I guess, uh, until next time, uh, we both have some work to do. So definitely uh, adios, adios muchachos. Ah, uh, see, see, senor. (laughs) All right. Well, take care, everybody. I'll be talking to you. Take care. Bye. Yep. Bye. Bye.